Bill, welcome to the pit, dude. Cheers. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Dude, thanks for coming. Absolutely. Busy guy running a very large company and uh, obviously two beautiful kids at home and a wife. Yeah. That uh, as I'm learning with two kids now here a couple weeks in, it's a lot of work, so I appreciate you coming out and spending some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. A little, a little homework. And again, I think some people may, who see this every week, see this as repetitive, but I want the new viewers that may see it that are in your world to understand what Fireside Chats is all about. And it really started with us saying, we wanna give other local kids that don't maybe wanna take traditional routes or went to college or don't, go, don't wanna go work in the field that they went to school for, um, the understanding that you can go create a business. You could be a small business owner and take it to whatever heights that you want to do. So we're pulling in these stories like yours, like your father's, and really helping inspire other people. So again, thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you gave us uh, a tour this morning of the plant. Can you call it a plant or yeah. factory? plant, shop. Shop. Yeah. Um, we got to spend a couple minutes with your father who originally kicked off the business. Yep. He's kind of handed that wand off to you and you have excelled uh, heavily. Uh, what an impressive place. Every time you took us into another little room and I was like, oh, this is the end of the building. It like went to another huge room <laughs> with like, you know, these endless ceilings. Like how many square feet is that facility? You probably saw about 150 today. And then we have another 30,000 of just warehouse space. Wow. So we're manufacturing. It's about 10 minutes away in Neptune City, mm -hmm. border of Tinton Falls. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, so it's a lot of a lot of moving parts, three buildings, sales office in Manhattan. Um, you know, takes all kinds to make it go around, and we do a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So yeah, I, I want to start and kind of chronologically go through your life a little bit. Manasquan guy, uh, you have a brother Tom, correct? Yep. And uh, mother Kate. Yep. Uh, and then your pops Charlie, who we had the uh, pleasure of meeting today. He started this in 1974? 83. 83, 83. Yeah, so I was born in 83. He started it two months after I was born. Was a sales guy at another printing company. Um, and then basically decided to take a shot on himself and start his own business. And uh, started out at Alaire Airport with four people in a small building out there. Basically operated out of there for seven years and then built a building in Manasquan uh, about 30,000 square feet, and then was there from 89.90 to 2004, and then in 04 we moved to where we are now in Tinton Falls. And now you're uh, obviously a, a very young child. Um, do you remember going into the plant when you were younger and sweeping the floors or doing other things your dad had you doing? Yeah, or? I mean, I was around it my whole life. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I, there's actually a business card around that says Bill Doer Infant on it <laughs> uh, with like the original Hatteras business card, which is pretty cool. And uh, he did a grand opening in 89 or 90 whenever he opened in Manasquan. Uh, and I have pictures of myself like wearing a suit and tie and greeting people at the grand opening. I was around the company my whole life. I mean, whether it was there to work and make some money or because I did something wrong, I was always working yeah. in the business. Um, I never ran a press or anything, but I painted the walls, drove, worked in the handwork department, worked in the pre-press department. Um, so I've always been around it. I've also always had a job. And, you know, I worked, you know, at local restaurants in Manasquan growing up, worked a lot of lacrosse camps, 
Mm -hmm. Had my own lacrosse camp business for a bit. So I've always kind of, you know, worked. And yeah. it's been, I've always seen my dad work. So I've always tried to, you know, model that behavior. And at lacrosse camp, you and your brother really started uh, together with a little bit of your leadership at first. And that's Mad Dog. And I'm not a huge lacrosse guy, but I know that's like a big name around here. Uh, quickly, just tell us about Mad Dog. Give your brother a shout out. Yeah, so uh, me and my brother grew up playing lacrosse together. When we were growing up in the area, there was, you know, one team. It was the Manasquan River Lacrosse Club. Uh, we were on the fourth to eighth grade team, you know, and a uh, couple couple awesome families in the area ran it. My my family eventually took it over. Uh, we grew up playing for that team and then went to CBA. Then we both went off to play in college. I went to Marist. My brother went to Johns Hopkins. And, um, you know, I was in college coaching after college, and we started Mad Dog Lacrosse as a way to get our, our buddies together um, to come down the shore, coach some lacrosse, like give back, share our love for the game, give younger kids an opportunity that we had and, and, and a sport that we just love. Um, we did that for a few summers, and then I decided to get into the printing business. And at the time, my brother was graduating from Johns Hopkins. He was a team captain and a national champion there. And uh, he Great took over. Yeah. yeah, he took over, over the camp, and basically just twenty xed it in size, and then moved out to the West Coast, started travel teams out there, and now the company is like I would say at the top of the club lacrosse game uh, across the country. There's East Coast teams, West Coast teams. Uh, they're putting kids at top level Division One schools, and my brother has really taken his passion and love for the game, and. I think that's what drives him and he just shares it and coaches at a high level and brings as many people along with him as he can, whether it's coaches or players. And it's been really awesome to see. And that's something that I wanted to pull out of you because I think whether, and I think you do know it, but that's what your your father ingrained in you too, was like leadership skills, bringing people together. We talked a lot about people today as we were touring your plant. And um, you both obviously do an excellent job. So shout out to your brother and Mad Dog. But just to bring it back, so young kid, always around the shop, whether it be there for a punishment and you're painting a wall or, you know, you're there just trying to make some extra money because you were trying to, you know, buy a car or doing whatever you were doing. Um, you had said to me today, you, you didn't really want to be in that business. Why was that at the time? Uh, well, I think part of it was, you know, being naive or stubborn um, and wanting to kind of do my own thing and carve my own path. And I'm still very passionate about the game of lacrosse. And, uh, you know, playing in college, I spent three years coaching at the college level. And it was always, you know, my thought that I would make a career at coaching at the college level. And after seeing kind of what that kind of path to success looked like and having to move around the country a lot to different jobs, um, I kind of had a different thought. But I went to college and I studied digital media because I thought that's the opposite of printing. And it gives me an opportunity to kind of be creative on the side um, and just have a fallback if coaching didn't work out. But what I came to realize was when I was coaching, I'm running a team. I talked to my dad, you know, basically every night after practice, he's running a company. And we were talking about the same things, people, solving problems, getting everyone to realize they're part of something bigger than themselves, the parts equal the whole, trying to get them to buy in. Um, and I realized that working for the family business, you know, wasn't anything but a great opportunity. So in 2009, I got out of college coaching, handed Mad Dog over to my brother, 
and started at Hatteras and started there in sales. And that was really where I learned the business, what the company actually did, how it related to the market. Um, and it just, you know, has kind of just taken on its own thing from there. And it's been a really good journey. And, you know, now I'm not so much in sales anymore, but I, I do uh, still engage actively with our customers and our sales team on a regular basis. And that's a huge part of my role, but now I'm more in a leadership role within the company. But if I didn't have that sales background to really understand the market, I wouldn't really be able to kind of steer the company in the direction that it needs to go in for the future. Yeah. And, you know, at that time when you were transitioning, um, you had some struggles in your life that, you know, you went through that you said to me, hey, Ryan, I looked inward and a lot of people have a hard time doing that. Right. It's our ego or it's just sad or scary or whatever it may be. But you were in the city, you were hustling, you were running around. Maybe you started to, to drink too much and you said, hey, this is something I need to just give up if I want to go full bore and, and really run a company and have those things. Just speak briefly on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, it's an important thing to, uh, it's an important part of my story. You know, I think growing up at the shore, like I always kind of grew up in this party atmosphere, um, being an athlete, partying hard, like that's just kind of what I thought you did. Yeah. Um, and then I went to college and kind of carried that right forward. And I always had lacrosse to kind of, kind of keep me on the right side of the line. And, but I always push the envelope. You know, I said before I struggle with moderation, like whether I'm on the lacrosse field, I go as hard as I can. And I kind of went in the same direction with my, uh, my lifestyle outside of that. When I started working and making some money and living in the city, um, that started to kind of catch up with me. And where I thought I was being really successful and working really hard and doing well, um, I would go out on the weekends and just kind of throw caution to the wind. And after a few years of doing that, it just kind of started to fall out of balance for me. Starts to go backwards. Yeah. And city's so easy to get into trouble as a young kid, especially if you have money. It is. Everything's at your fingertips, you know, and there's always somebody doing something. And I eventually just kind of came to the conclusion. And I always kind of knew the day might come for me. You know, yeah. I knew something was there. Um, it had been something my family had tried, to, had tried to address with me previously. But basically, one day I just came to, you know, came to my parents and said, listen, I got a problem. And I want to, you know, stop drinking. I want to stop, you know, doing drugs and, and whatever kind of vices that I had. And I called basically all my, my close friends, anybody that I associated with regularly. And I just told them what was going on because there were so many times prior to that where I had tried to stop, but I didn't tell anybody. So yeah. I was only accountable to myself. Yeah. So for me, it was really, let me put this out there and let me make it clear to people what I'm going to do. And that way, at least I'm still accountable to myself, but it's out there and I've yeah. made it known. So I do have somewhat of a support system and I went and sought out some help. And then I really just turned inward. I, you know, there were a lot of people I stopped communicating with a lot of things I just stopped doing. Naturally, it's just going to happen. Yeah. And I went on a journey to kind of figure myself out and, um, all these emotions I had and all these things that had always been there. And I never thought that drinking or doing drugs was suppressing them. Cause that's not why I was doing those things. I was doing those things to have a good time. And uh, all these things came out that were there that I just never realized were there. So and look for them. It took it took a while for me to like learn how to deal with some of that stuff without, you know, 
turn into something else. Yeah. So I really just went on this journey to figure out who I was and what made me tick. And I think I'm still on that journey. We all are. But for me, it's been, it'll be uh, eight years in October, you know, no drinking. And I think for me, it's been the best change I've ever made in my life because it's, it's given me clarity on who I am. Um, it's really created nothing but like forward momentum for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always joke like I'd have forward momentum and Friday would come and I would like, you know, men in black where yeah. they do that thing and you kind of erase whatever happened. <laughs> yeah. So I was always kind of stuck in a rut and now Instead I just feel just like pushing forward. Yeah, now I'm pushing forward. Yeah. And, uh, I was telling you earlier, I did 75 hard. And again, not that I feel like alcohol controls me. Um, I had some addiction in my family, so I'm, I'm almost like too hypersensitive to it. Like, hey, Kelly, you know, talking about my wife, you think I drink too much? You know, I'm always, you know, checking in with somebody. And yeah. I think that's a good thing. Some people may think that's a weird thing, but um, I've just seen addiction take over people's lives and uh, cause a lot of issues, not only for themselves, but everybody else. But I did the 75 hard. I made it 60 days without drinking. And again, that even just reset my body and also just that like hyper focus I was almost too focused like I needed something else to pull me back yeah because I had all this energy and we were doing two workouts a day we were reading we were doing all this other stuff that went along with 75 hard and uh, I can only imagine to just fully cut it off jump over into the lacrosse stuff and then you know take the wand over from your father and run with Hatteras Um, man what what a just great opportunity and just right timing right place and You've done nothing but from what I've you know heard about you and Hatteras Print and uh, your dad from Tommy and others, uh, you've just knocked the ball out of the park. So, you know, kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean it's been it's been a good change, and I have I have such a good opportunity in front of me, and uh, you know part of my decision was I can either take it and make the most of it or completely squander it, and uh, I just couldn't be happier with my decision, but it's, it's like a big step, you know, and you got to be vulnerable and you got to put yourself out there and that's not easy to do. It's not. So I think it's been the best decision I've ever made in my life. I think you realize too, and, 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 you know, for me, even with this show and when I started doing social media was putting yourself out there and people are going to come at you, right? Cause they see you're doing well, or they see you're happy with your kids and your wife or whatever it may be. And, you know, they see in a vulnerable state and they're going to, you know, what they call hate on you, right? Or they're going to attack you and you got to be strong enough to be weak and put yourself out there and get to the next step. And obviously you're, you're doing a really great job with that. Thank you. I want to talk more about Hatteras though. Yeah. So 300 and how many employees? 310. About, 310. Yeah. That's, that's a large organization. Um, only about, I think, three or four guys we've had on the show so far have employees uh, of those numbers and we talk a lot about systems and management um you guys are a fairly large entity you're dealing with a lot of big name companies lowe's home improvement sony google l'oreal calvin klein um the mixed tiles they're yeah. on my wall <laughs> oh, really? i came home and i'm like she's like oh, how'd it go i'm like babe he's he does the mixed tiles you love the mixed tiles <laughs> Everybody, you know, my mother-in-law, sister-in-law, anybody who may watch this, they all have the mixed tiles in their house. His organization probably printed them for you if you're in this area. Um, So those are some pretty large entities to work with. And one of the interesting things that you said to me today, and I've been discovering this myself, is this is a form of digital marketing, right? A podcast. It's kind of like 
note-taking of my life and my progression of business and people I'm surrounding myself with. And it's just still an arm of marketing in a sense. Yeah. Um, and print marketing, a lot of people for years are saying, hey, this is going away. And you talked about that earlier. People had said that to you, you're crazy going back into the print world. Um, but those are some pretty large entities spending probably some, some you know, decent numbers with you to print. So just explain a little bit of the different things that you do, because you do packaging, you do large print, small print. You made us some great little uh, swag that is yeah. awesome. I can't wait to hang it up in my office. Talk a little bit about the different things that you do at yeah. Hatteras. So a couple examples. We do uh, the all the in-store graphics for Calvin Klein North America. So the retail locations, there are roughly 130 retail locations across the country uh, between, well, not just across the country, in North America. Have you got the lighter? Um, so we basically do all the in-store graphics for that. So we create branded environments uh, for their different stores, whether it's Calvin Klein owned or something in a Macy's, a Belk, a Bonton, a Dillard's. Um, we do direct mail for uh, companies like BMW, for some of the pharmaceutical companies, and that can be you know, static where everybody's getting the same message or highly personalized. Like we do some mailings for Honda and Acura and the car you bought is on the cover. You live in the city, the background's the city. You live in the country, the background's the com country. It's got information in there about your, uh, your year making model, the dealership you bought it from, and it's all dynamic. And that's, you know, not dynamic to 10 people, that's dynamic to 35,000 people a week who bought a Honda last week. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from the store marketing to the direct mail to the marketing collateral, to secondary packaging. You know, we're doing a lot for the cannabis industry now, um, shipping different folding cartons to all the different retailers and they're packing their product in I gotta show you the, the, the pre-roll packaging. <laughs> yeah. I, I put it to the side for you, I was gonna throw it out before. We're doing a ton of that stuff. It's an emerging market. A um, lot of influencer kits. So if you go on YouTube, there's this whole, you know, unboxing experience phenomenon. So we're building uh, Point Noy started that? I don't know. I think he did. Man. We just did something for Barstool, which yeah. is pretty cool. The unboxing he yeah. did. He would just get hammered and stoned and just open these packages during COVID. Yeah, so these these brands are spending, you know, a lot on a small amount of boxes to put it in the hands of an influencer who's got a million followers. So we're able to, you know, hey, you have a product, you want to build something around your spin drift, which we actually do work for spin drift. You know, we'll create a kit, create a unique opening experience, get it out into the hands of those, you know, high, uh, you know, high follower count influencers and get it in front of people. But yeah. as a printing company, we do lots of different things for lots of different companies and no client is greater than 10% of the revenue. So we're really diverse with who we service. And you now know, I'm going to jump around and, yeah. and, and interject here a little bit. Yeah. Like the direct mail, we were talking today about a company. I don't know if you want to say who they were or not, but you were describing a situation where they're able to actually go in and capture what was left in a cart. So right. like my wife doesn't realize that I see everything going on on Amazon, not because I'm a psycho, but because I created the account. So everything she leaves in there, Amazon, like, hey, you forgot this in your cart. You forgot this in your cart. Exactly. They're capturing that data coming to you and you're sending that exact piece on a printed piece of mail to them. That is very impressive and, and highly concentrated. I don't think a lot of people think that way, especially in a small business level where it could really benefit them. Right. So we're all used to being retargeted at this point. We're all used to, all right, we clicked on a website, we left something in our cart, here come the emails, here come the push notifications. We're lucky if they get to us because it's so oversaturated. So one of our clients basically works with 
e-commerce retailers, anyone who's selling a product online, and they put a plug-in on the back end of their website, and they capture the IP address. So your wife goes on to L'Oreal.com, puts some stuff in her cart, abandons it. Our client basically captures her IP address, associates a mailing address with it, and we're gonna get that data tomorrow morning, and we're gonna put a postcard in the mail, and your wife's gonna get it within three days of that online activity. And we do that for 200 retailers in this program and produce anywhere from 40,000 to 400,000 postcards the same day we receive the data and get it in the mail. So if someone sees this podcast tomorrow or next week, what's your capacity? How many more retailers can you work with? How many more customers can you help do that? Uh, We have a ton of capacity, you know, and we can we can kind of funnel people into that client's program. Or if we're, you know, if somebody wants to get a direct mail marketing program Sorry going. Sorry about those ashes. The wind's coming right Yeah, no, it's all good. We can, uh, you know, use the data they know about their existing customers, help them acquire new customers, communicate to everybody individually. Like personalization is a big buzzword right now. We can bring that to life through a printed piece. And with printing, with our mail, it's either like, I'm throwing this away because it's junk or this is relevant and it's here when I'm ready for it. It's gonna hang around my counter or on my fridge fridge. when I wanna deal with it. Where an email, getting buried in your inbox. A push notification, I'm swiping away from it. Something in my Instagram feed, it's getting buried eventually. And I'm sure somebody who's selling digital marketing would make some type of equal argument why print isn't the right channel. And I don't think there's a right and a wrong channel for marketing. I think it's gotta be a little bit of everything because every consumer is different and everybody velocity wants to be of, communicated to differently. Velocity of marketing, yeah. right? So just like with money, I, I, and I'll have to talk too much about money compliance, watch disease, <laughs> but uh, I'm a big believer in buckets because we have no control of what's going on. So as things change outside of your control, you have different levers. Same thing it should be in marketing. Print will never go away. You said that today, I agree. Right. Um, and people don't realize, um, and I didn't realize until I saw today, all the different things that you can print. All, you know, you had this massive machine that was like a cardboard roll machine, and you're making the cardboard boxes for your client to create a savings there. Just things that people within a corporation don't really think of. Right. But that is your specialty and what you're doing for them to provide value. Um, talk a little bit about the packaging a little bit more. That was yeah. a pretty cool. So, I mean, everything we do is basically manufactured from scratch. So we start with a flat sheet of paper and can create whatever vessel it be. So uh, you come to us, you got a product, we have a whole prototyping department that can basically create a white sample of the box. Like you wanna put this spin drift in a box? Great, let's talk about what you want, let's talk about your budget, let's talk about how many people you wanna hit. We can create that vessel to go around this can or this cigar or whatever it be. On and a wall, on, on a, a millwork piece, yeah, on a window. You name it. And uh, so, you know, basically that whole process starts with a flat sheet and that flat piece. And then we basically print it, do what's called die cutting, which is like industrial cookie cutting, Mm -hmm. Um, cut it to shape, fold it, glue it, assemble it, and then ship it out to where it needs to go. So I want to talk about COVID briefly. Yeah. Uh, You know, obviously a touchy uh, subject for a lot of different people. Uh, I feel bad for those who had lost loved ones and um, I'm not here to debate whether it's real or not, but what I'm here to say in my belief is uh, it was extremely difficult on business owners. Almost like I felt in a way that it was like coming down trying to hurt the small business owner. Um, and you're more of a mid-sized business owner, but you are still a small business owner. And 
um, as the guy steering the ship now uh, for a while, it was on you. I think your father was off fishing and, yeah. and, and doing whatever. Yeah. You were sitting in your basement trying to you know, figure out how you keep 310 people working and making sure they're paying their bills. And uh, that's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Talk a little bit about what you were doing during that time to get your company through and moving forward. Yeah, so like we kind of, I had a little bit of a jump on what I thought might be coming. I have a, a business associate of mine who does some work in China and he kind of grouped a, or he briefed a group of us about what was going on in Wuhan. He had just gotten back from China. So he told us like, look, it's real. What's going on over there? It's probably coming our way. So. I went ahead and briefed my management team, said, look, this this COVID virus is probably gonna come our way. Let's kind of try to plan proactively for what might happen. So we started to run some of our daily meetings via Zoom before we were working from Smart. home. Smart, kind of get everybody comfortable. We went to an AB schedule and kind of got used to that. Um, we put in work zones within our manufacturing environment. What's that mean? So basically, if you work in this area, here's the here's the entrance you come in, here's the bathroom you use, here's where material gets moved to coming into your department, here's where it gets moved to going out of your department, and then we had transfer areas. So if we did have any type of outbreak, um, it was we would- Segregated. Segregated, so we could isolate it. So my mantra going into it, when it actually became real, uh, once the printing business was deemed an essential business, because packaging, labeling, a lot of communications, all that stuff is key. We didn't know if we would be essential or not. Once we were deemed essential, it was keep the employees safe, keep the business a business. So there was a lot of hard decisions we had to make, but it was get through what we have to get through so the company's a company on the other side of this and we can continue to provide a livelihood for all these families. So, so even, even for the small business owner, maybe a guy has two or 10 employees or 20, um, talk about those tough decisions as a, a business owner. Because a lot of times I could tell you're you're a good dude, right? You, you got a good heart in there. And as a business owner, sometimes we can't allow our emotions to take over when it comes to monetary decisions. We have to make sure at the end of the day, the business is still there. So do I save five people's jobs or do I save five customers or do I get rid of 310 people's jobs? Talk a little bit about those tough decisions yeah, and how so, you sift through that. Yeah, so it was tough to navigate through. So we saw like a 40% drop in revenue basically right off the bat. And we were coming off of our best year ever in 2019. So everything we were doing was kind of gearing for growth and then the rug got pulled out from under us. So we had to quickly make some hard decisions. Um, and we started with, okay, who culturally is most aligned with us? Like who can I, who do I wanna be in a foxhole with if we're really gonna get into some serious shit here? Um, and then when we, when we aligned culturally, you know, we did have to have a couple layoffs. We did an overall company pay cut. Uh, I basically started communicating with the company more and more every day. So I started writing a morning email. Um, I started writing an afternoon email to the whole company. That's, that's so important because, you know, when you're sitting at home and I'm the employee of your company, I'm sitting there going, I got a mortgage, I got kids to feed, I got a medical bills, whatever it may be, you know, to at least just know where you stand so I could build a plan on, on my home front is really important, so yeah. smart so, move. So I started over communicating. We did like a lot of memos. 
We would translate them into Spanish because we have a, a big Spanish-speaking workforce. Uh, I would, a lot of women, too, in, yeah, in your workforce. And I would meet you know, the, the team in the parking lot, kind of get everybody together, spread out, explain to them what was going on, have a translator there, um, and let them know, you know, this is hard. I don't like to, having to do this, but trust me, stick with me, and I'll do my best to make it up to you when this is all over. And, you know, initially you, you thought it was going to be three, four weeks, hunker down, we'll get through it, and it just lingered, and it kept going, and it kept going. Um, and for us, you know, it's another make, topic for off camera. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of like right sizing our fixed payables and our payroll to make sure we could weather the storm based on the revenue levels we thought we would be at was one thing, and then figuring out how we could ramp up and create some new revenue streams, and that was a big part of it. Kind of once we adjusted, um, we went into high gear, and I started talking to a bunch of doctors and nurses that I know in the area, whether it's Jersey Shore or up in North Jersey, and they're like telling me like, oh, they told us to wear like swim goggles to work if we had them today. And I had seen some other companies around the country that were similar to me who were making face shields. And I found, uh, I got a uh, basically a prototype online and me and a couple guys from the shop um, started to out. figure out how to make them. And we just started donating them. So. We started donating, I think in our first week, we donated around like 7,700 of them. And we weren't bringing them to the hospitals because they were getting lost in the supply room. So I was using my drivers. Getting lost in the supply room. How does that happen when you need face shields? Because they couldn't get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. um, and their purchasing departments couldn't make a decision to save their lives. When there was people who were needed you know, to save saving real lives, lives. Yeah. that didn't have what they needed. So we said, fuck it, and basically just started donating you know, when we as a company weren't in any position to donate. But we, we rallied and it gave us like a rally cry. So the first week we had our drivers and we started to email Hatteras Helps at Hatteras.us. And I was on the other end of all the emails. And anybody who reached out, any mom, dad, grandma, nurse, doctor. You got what you needed. We brought the face shields to their doorstep. We'd give them a case, two cases, and they'd bring them into the hospitals and dish them out to their friends. Uh, and then basically what happened was I got a shout out from Governor Murphy on his daily update on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. And, you know, that was great. But then the next day on his update, we were, we're sourcing PPE from Taiwan. And I'm like, motherfucker, I'm about to lay more people off. I'm right here in your state. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to make some more hard decisions. So I got in touch with the New Jersey Department of Economic Development. Uh, I got in touch with my buddy, Kevin Byrne, who's a state trooper, um, kind of net Tommy weave. White? Yeah, Tommy White. I net weave my way in. Uh, we were able to find a way. We got an order from the state of New Jersey for 100,000 face shields. Tom White, my buddy, who's a, a recruiter and just an animal of a, a salesperson, uh, his recruiting business was, was basically stagnant. He came on board. He got a huge order from the state of Pennsylvania. And now we were getting paid and we were able to maintain our workforce. And we got creative, started selling to schools, started doing branded social distancing graphics, partitions. We were doing temporary bed frames built out of materials we would normally uh, put graphics on and sending those to Connecticut. Doing the right thing helped keep you guys afloat. Yeah, and it was honestly the most fulfilling work I've ever done um, because it kept 
kept our team employed. Now you're in it. You feel like you're in the fight with the doctor saving yeah. these people. And I have um, a stack of handwritten notes from moms and grandmas and aunts and uncles of the people that we helped. And for me at the time, you know, it didn't seem that significant. And as I go back and I'll read these notes from time to time, like people are extremely grateful and appreciative of what we did as a company. And we shared a lot of that online and on our social media. As a country, people are good. I think the media and a lot of negativity out there want us to make us feel like we're all against one another in the United States. I still, I still think it's the best country by far in, in the world. Too. And I mean, people like you, businesses like you, your employees stepping up and putting their lives at risk to for come sure. in. For sure. I mean, they were coming in every day. We didn't really know what was what, um, you know. And and it gave us like a rally cry. And it also gave us like something to be proud of and something to kind of move us forward through whatever, this, this unknown that none of us knew how to deal with. Nobody had the blueprint for how to deal with whatever Again, was coming our way. as a business owner and as a leader and a captain steering the ship, and I, I use captain as an analogy, your, your family's big into fishing. Hatteras is, is obviously, uh, you know, you guys' whole brand is built around fishing, yeah. the beach. Um, that That's so big to be able to pivot and, and win and I want to move on. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get you out of here too long. You're going to be soaking wet by the end of this. Um, talking about you know, systems that you already had in place, right? And we talked about systems with a lot of guys, with yep. employees of your size. What are some of those systems and how important are those systems to run a business of your size and to also keep you organized during a tough time like that? Yeah, so I look at our systems like our fundamentals. Um, and I always talk to my team about Blocking and tackling. Well, I played lacrosse. So whether I was in fourth grade or coaching, you know, at the highest level or playing at the highest level I played at, we started practice with ground balls. If we can't pick the ball up off the ground, we can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. So our systems, our standard operating procedures, that's our those are our fundamentals. And they're different in every department, but that's what's underlying. So across all the different types of work we do, all the different clients we do it for, those standard operating procedures, those fundamentals are what keeps us afloat. Uh, and it's our fallback, it's our safety net. And I look at it the same way I looked at it, coaching. It's like a backstop. Well, whether I'm playing against, you know, this team who's got this high powered offense or this team who slows it down, I have these fundamentals and that's, that's our identity as a company or a team and that's what we fall back on. Mm -hmm. So when things start to go squirrely, fall back on the fundamentals. If things are going wrong from a quality perspective, Get back to training. Focus on those fundamentals and make sure that foundation. Yeah, sometimes there. in business you're always like growth, growth, sales, market, and that's you know, sales is what makes any business go. Marketing what makes any business go. But at the end of the day, some of those systems may be boring. They may be a lot to implement, but they help your business run more efficient. And obviously, you know, walking through your facility, you guys have a lot of systems. I wanted to touch on women in, in the workforce. Yeah. And when this show first started out, I won't lie, I didn't have a ton of business owner women clients um, that I wanted to invite on the show. More and more are now coming on, but it was uh, hard to overlook as I walked through your facilities that you have a lot of women that work in your workforce. Uh, talk a little bit about those women and, and how big they are to your team and your yeah, company. I think um, you know overall our workforce is very eclectic, a lot of multiple generations, multiple nationalities, a lot of men, a lot of women. Um, a, lot to, of, a lot of 
longtime employees oh, yeah. there. We have some longtime employees over 30 years. But I think it's like, you know, like I was saying to you off camera earlier, it's like it takes all kinds. Mm -hmm. And whether it's the clients that we service or the problems we solve internally, everybody brings a different perspective. And it's really having all that perspective that allows us to kind of flesh out our issues, get things to the surface, kind of hear what everybody has to say, and then bring the best solution forward. Um, your, your dad said something to me earlier. He said three out of the four that he started with over in Alaire were still with the company, and you just had one of the fourth retire yeah, recently. Yeah. That's a testament to, to him, to your company, and uh, I don't want to overlook your dad. Um, yeah. You are the one steering the ship now, but he is the one who started all this. And uh, that's a tough role to be in as a son, right? No one wants to come in and be like, oh, you know, it's the typical, oh, well, he's, he's the, the father's you know, son and, and business owner's yeah. son. Um, I, I take you as that, that doesn't matter at all to you. Um, you have definitely taken the reins and, and run with it. But your family as a whole to have employees around that long of a time speaks to your culture and what you guys are doing. That's pretty awesome. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I've, I, I've always had in the back of my head, like I'm the boss's kid and I want to kind of, um, overcome that stigma mm -hmm. and work my ass off. And I think, you know, early on in my career, um, looking back, I thought I was working hard, but really once I turned the corner and made that decision to, you know, kind of cut some of the riffraff out of my life. Um, I think I've really been able to kind of carry the torch forward and take the foundation and the opportunity that my dad's given me and take it to a whole nother level, um, you know, with his guidance. But what are some of the big things and initiatives that Hatteras Print want to tackle over the next five to 10 years? I mean, I think we want to continue to set the standard for service in our industry. Um, we're, we've always been a sales-oriented, customer-driven company. We've always really been customer-focused. Um, for us, I think we just want to continue to create a great work environment. I think generally our business is very stressful. We're under high demand. We're manufacturing a product from scratch. Uh, we're dealing with a client base that maybe doesn't really understand what they're asking for. And it's not just click a button and it comes off a finished book or finished packaging. There's a process to it. And in order to do it right, we need to be extremely skillful on the front end with our communication skills, our ability to teach our clients, to kind of tailor what they're looking for to fit our capabilities, and then and sometimes ultimately- Sometimes they just have an idea. Most of the time. Yeah, you need to then you know figure that out and then package it. Yeah, so we've put a big emphasis on the way we onboard employees uh, and train them and bring them up to speed, and we've really put a big emphasis on culture first, like let's make sure this new person that we're bringing into our company fits culturally, that when things get tough, you know, they're made of the same stuff that we're made of and we can get through whatever we gotta get through. And they're willing to learn, uh, they're coachable, they're a team player, you know, we look for all those things. And sometimes you don't know until yeah, you're in a it. tough situation with somebody. But we start, we've put a big emphasis on culture first and creating a great work environment, knowing it's gonna be stressful, it's gonna be hard, but at least if we're working with a bunch of people that are kind of made up of the same stuff, we'll find a way to get through the adversity. And I think, you know, we saw that really come to light during COVID and we saw who we really were. And in my mind, you know, now that we've navigated through that, I hope we never have to do it again, but what the, whatever the next challenge is gonna be, bring it on. I'm very confident in my leadership team um, and their ability to not just yes me to death and 
and you know tell me the things I need to hear um, and then lead their teams kind of in the right direction as well. So it's really a, a huge group effort. Um, and I've got some amazing team members, both you know, kind of seasoned veterans and up-and-comers that all bring something unique to the table. And I just feel really fortunate to have the opportunity that I have. And I don't, I don't take that lightly, and I don't take it for granted. Yeah, just walking around with you, you know, you knew everybody's name. You know, hi, Mike, how Matt, you know, Steve, you know, you, you knew everybody's name. I think that's impressive. A lot of times as uh, an owner... You're doing a lot of things that are driving business to the table. You're taking care of some of the bigger problems. That's time consuming to have the time to know your people and to, again, create that culture, not to sound repetitive. Uh, it's everything in business. And uh, you've really in, in embraced that and continue to run with it. Um, you know, a couple questions I like to ask as we wind this down um, is about other business owners either impacted you at, over the last 10 years and or a mentor of yours locally um, as well as ask you a couple questions um, that you can give some nuggets to young business owners starting out. So, you know, what are a couple businesses that you looked up to coming up that are still around locally in the area or you do business with now that you would love to give a shout out on the podcast? Um, well, I mean, I've always looked up to my dad and what he's built and doing that you know, what he's done from scratch. So the, for me, that's like the main, the main motivation for me. Um, as far as local businesses go, I mean, uh, there's two brothers that I've done some business with. They're Spring Lake guys. Uh, they have a great story. Um, they have a company called Faraday Brand. They basically, you know, one was a uh, Connecticut clothing guy, right? designer. No, they're from Spring Lake. And uh, one was a Wall Street guy. And you know, in their early 30s, they basically both broke off, started this amazing company, very family-oriented. Their mother works in the business. Um, one of their wives works in the business. And they've created this amazing clothing brand. And it's been really cool to watch their journey. Um, they're a current client of ours. I think it's really admirable what they're doing. They've got a, an amazing story. Uh, I think that's been really cool. Um, what you about know, your wife's business? My wife's business is incredible. So my wife, Kara, uh, owns Seed to Sprout. Her and her business partner, Alex, uh, they built this, you know, plant-based organic restaurant from scratch. They've been in business now 10 years. Uh, they're located in Avon. So I didn't know what vegan was before I met her. Um, I ate a pretty strict vegan diet for four years. I felt great. Recently, I've introduced fish and eggs back into the mix, and I also feel great. Um, but yeah, my wife is driven. She's super passionate about food. She runs an awesome company. And uh, I think her food brings a lot of joy to people's lives. So it's awesome watching her, you know, be a mom, be a business owner. Um, our businesses are, are different, but similar in the problems that we yeah. have to solve every day. And, you know, knowing that I have, you know, her by my side and, and me by her side, I think it's empowering for both of us. Um, so that's huge. You know, but I think. What are some nuggets you can leave some young business owners? Give us, give us two things. Well, for me, it's like, uh, you know, I have some, some leadership from my father, but it was always about for me going out and getting different perspectives. So I've joined a business organization called Vistage. It's a CEO peer group, so I'm able to surround myself with other business owners that are. Is there a large cost to that? How there's you there's a significant cost, and your your business needs to be above uh, a certain, certain dollar amount. 
Um, but there's other organizations that you know can kind of work with with smaller companies. But for me, that's been key because you realize going in when you talk to other business owners, same um, problems, same problems. You're not unique, and you know I always also thought like someone who's a CEO or president is going to be a suit and super stuffy yeah. and stuck up. And, and that's then, not you. No, and you realize that none of the business owners are really like that. Mm-hmm. You know these guys that I deal with. Um, that are awesome people, uh, are just, you know, ravenous people that want to get after it, want to be successful, want to bring people along with them. They have a passion for what they do. They have a passion for people. Um, and they're just taking advantage of the opportunities that are out there. And I think, you know, it's We run a local, uh, mastermind group. You're more than welcome to come anytime. It's similar. Yeah. And you have to have a certain rev range. It's, it's not huge, uh, of income. And the reason you know, I think people do that is because there's a certain mindset that you have to be at when you're at certain uh, revenue ranges. But that could go down to, you know, you're, you're, you're starting out, find five other guys on Instagram within a 20-mile radius and get together for coffee. You know, get together for a dinner or a lunch or whatever it may be because those guys are starting out at the same place you are. Right. Or, you know, pay the $3,000 to go to an event that, you know, is a level above you and pick the brains of those guys. They could shorten your learning curve. And you're investing in yourself. And you just said it, shorten your learning curve. If that $3,000 gives you that nugget that avoids you making one critical mistake, it's paid for itself. Yeah. You know, so I think being vulnerable, being self-aware, um, you know, knowing where you're weak, play to your strengths, but work on strengthening your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Always be on a journey to, you know, continuously improve. Get better to get better and put yourself out there, you know, and don't be scared to fail. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. And uh, uh, this Vistage group that I'm part of, they bring in a guest speaker uh, every meeting that we have. And there was a a Southern gentleman who was a speaker for us one time. And he said, if you're squirming, you're learning. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me. Like if you're uncomfortable, you know, you're learning. It's in those places of discomfort that you find a way to persevere yep. and then you've learned, you know, and then and you now build that's ingrained in you. And now yeah. you're, you know, now you're just building on that foundation. So, um, you know, you got to take risks advice. and not be scared to, to fuck up. And yeah. then when you fuck up, admit it, yeah. you know, be okay with it. Failure, failures, you know, scale your successes and just keep, just keep it going. Yeah. It, you're, and I want to touch on, and you being a dad, uh, we became friends on Instagram not too long ago and, I was stalking your page and, you know, it's just all family and uh, your, your two beautiful kids and your wife and, you know, living the life that you want to live. And what being a business owner means to me and I think to a lot of people is pursuing their passion, uh, which is why I launched this. I do love helping people with, with money decisions and financial products, but at the end of the day, that's a sales role. And yeah. uh, I'm okay being a, a salesman. Uh, I think if you add value to people, true value, and you actually care and you're genuine, people don't mind giving you uh, business or money. Yeah. Uh, but to pursue a passion, and, and I love having these conversations. Everybody tells me, Ryan, you come off so genuine and natural, because I am doing this. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be around other people who are chasing their passions um, as a business owner is empowering. And uh, just a freedom and flexibility to be with my family. Uh, my wife just had a kid, like I mentioned early on in the podcast, 
Um, I've been hanging at home. I'm not, not, not working. You know, I'm in the backyard working, um, uh, you know, sitting in my pool, my phone on the edge or my yeah. laptop. And I'm doing that because as a business owner, I don't have to go show up somewhere every day. I could give my wife a hand. She's, she's breastfeeding every two hours. Sometimes the baby's, I think it's called cluster feeding. <laughs> yeah. So it essentially doesn't ever want to, uh, you know, not feed. And there's pressure on her as a woman right now. There's no formula in the country, right? We have all this crazy, um, uh, logistical issues going on as you've experienced in your yeah. business. We didn't touch on that, but um, you know, kudos to you for being a great husband and, and dad too. I think it's important as a business owner. I think it's amazing. And like you always imagine what it's going to be like, but literally the moment that it happens, you're changed forever. And um, you know, my wife and my girls are like, they're everything to me. And all the moments we get together, there's a lot of adversity. We're learning a lot. You know, it's a steep learning curve very quickly. Uh, I give the moms a lot of credit. Yeah. It's amazing they what, take a lot of heat. what they do. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have two healthy girls and two businesses and get to live at a beautiful place, the Jersey Shore, and uh, get to go to the beach and surf and do all the things we love and, you know, work hard and, You're blessed. and be successful and enjoy it, you know. Last week we had uh, Live Like a Unicorn. Mm-hmm. It's a 501c3. She had lost her, uh, Emma is the lady who runs the organization, her and her husband, Brian. Uh, she had a daughter, Olivia, um, passed away at eight years old from this rare cancer. Um, and I hear stories like that, and we're gonna do a ton to help blow up that 501C. It just spoke to me, you know, just talking to her was, was difficult. Yeah. And the strength she had to come on the show and get asked those difficult questions. I, how could you not help that person? Yeah. Um, so it just goes to show you how blessed we are. And sometimes we run into these struggles, especially as business owners, we run into these stresses, but uh, most of us are really blessed. And if you count those blessings, helps you get through those hard times. Yeah, and you can't take anything for granted. You know, yeah. it's, uh, every day is, uh, it's amazing coming home and, and seeing my girls. Never it's, run to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and listen, I just think, I just apologize to my parents profusely because I know what I put yeah, them through. Like, so I'm hoping all these apologies, you know, come back <laughs> full circle and my girls are just little angels, you know. Uh, before I let you go, I, I got to say, the guests got to, you know, realize that you look like Tony Romo, dude. <laughs> the whole time I'm looking at you today, right now I'm like, Romo. Well, Romo. I'm a Giants fan, so, you know, that doesn't sit so well with me, but I'll, I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, well, dude, thank you for coming out. The rain seemed to subdued a little bit now, but we're already soaked. Yeah. I appreciate you being a trooper. And, it's great uh, being here. This is a great thing you got going on. Thank you so much for yeah, having me. I appreciate it, and Evan and I aren't, aren't going to stop, man. We're very motivated to help people, and I think sometimes money gets thrown at you. There's been some offers um, from some local entities you know, to partner, and it's like, what do we really want this to be about? We need to make money. Evan needs to live. He'll probably be engaged in the next year or two. Maddie, I don't know, but he probably will. I, I have a home to take care of and a family. And um, I think like you did with the face shields, if you just lead with your heart and doing the right thing, it's going to pay dividends long-term, short-term pain for long-term gain. I continue to say that. And uh, I love to have dudes like you come on and give us your time. And I really appreciate it. And thank you for coming yeah, out. Man, it's my pleasure being here. Thanks so much. Thank you.